Congratulations, you have made it to the weekend, and this is your Friday Roundup. My name is Jonathan, and my co-host name is Brad. We host a twice-a-week show on Mondays and Fridays. On Mondays, we explore a new topic or idea, and on Fridays, we bring in feedback from our community, and we really try to crowdsource the show. Let me go ahead and take just a second and offer just a little bit of background on who we are and kind of what our approach to this journey has actually been. Brad is a CPA and quit his job in 2015 after being well along the path to FI to pursue building businesses from home in a designed future that allowed him to spend more time with his wife and daughters. I followed a little bit more of the prototypical path. I did my four years of undergrad, got my bachelor's degree, did four years of pharmacy school, and graduated with six figures of student loan debt. Realizing that this was not what winning looked like, I put every extra dollar I had to paying off those student loans, cut my expenses down to the bone. Shortly after paying off all my debt, realized that this really wasn't the path for me anymore. Now, currently, I'm basically starting from scratch and have dedicated my life and my family's life now to a fully funded lifestyle change that involves growing this community and being a part of this community through the Chooseify radio podcast. So that was just kind of a short about us. We have talked about our unique stories and our unique path in earlier episodes. If you'd like to listen to that, that was episode two and episode four, respectively. And when I look back, I realize that this just started in 2017. This has been a passion project for both of us, and it's gone far beyond anything that either of us could ever imagine. And it's been amazing to share this journey with the people that listen to this show twice a week and also bring in their unique stories. And that's really what the Friday episode is all about. So without any further ado, welcome to the Choose FI radio podcast. You're listening to Choose FI radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI. Your home for financial independence online. All right, Brad. Well, it's been a couple weeks since we've actually been able to do a Friday Roundup because we've both actually been on the road and then you went down for the count with laryngitis. Yeah, it's been a crazy couple weeks. That's for sure. It does feel like forever since we've recorded, but I finally have a voice back, right? I almost sound like myself now. There were people that met you at camp just a week or two ago, and they had forgotten what you sounded like. So (laughs) it was so frustrating. Yeah, we were at Camp Fi in Florida, and that's really one of the highlights of my whole year. And I literally got there at three o'clock, and by four o'clock, my voice was essentially gone. It was ridiculous. Basically, Saturday, the next day, I could not utter a noise. That's not hyperbole, right, Jonathan? I couldn't talk at all. I felt so sorry for you. I I truly did. You were a pathetic creature for three days. (laughs) (laughs) I really, really was. I tried to make the best of it, though. Like I sat there and listened and, you know, at least tried to be part of of the group. But it just destroyed the whole weekend. You know, I just couldn't connect with people on the the level that I really wanted to. I was in bed by nine o'clock every single night when everybody was out around the, the fire until two in the morning or, you know, after midnight or whatever it may be. So yeah, I mean, it, it definitely put a big damper on it and, and it was frustrating, but I still, I really had a great time. There were, I think 60 plus people there the first week that I was at, you went to both weekends actually. And it was just nice to meet new people. Now, again, it stunk that I couldn't 
couldn't really talk to people, which is kind of kind of an important aspect of uh, communicating. But yeah, it was still it was still a good experience overall. And actually, Brad, the fire, fortunately, with those campfires, the fire did not spread. They remained inside of the fire pits. And we were all very grateful for that. <laughs> and one of the things that I was really focused on was these roundtables that we got to do with, you know, not only the featured bloggers that were maybe there as speakers, but also bringing in other bloggers that were there, but weren't giving a talk and also bringing in different elements from our community. And I was amazed at really how insightful the feedback was because we were talking about maybe these specific themes or topics or ideas for each of these roundtables. But it was amazing to me how much insight people in our community and other bloggers that were at this camp actually had to offer to the conversation. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And yeah, that surprised guests, you know, like it, it, it's kind of hard to say slowly, but there's a, a distinction between surprised and surprise guests, you know, like people, <laughs> hey, we're going to surprise you with these guests. No, that wasn't it. It was, hey, you're in the audience watching this roundtable with these quote unquote famous bloggers and hey, surprise, you're coming up and you're part of this roundtable now. And that was just so, so cool. And yeah, what was so nice about that was we had all become friends at that point. So this was a group that was there to support each other, to laugh together, to share stories, et cetera. And, and we just had become close. And, you know, whereas my own insecurities from back in the day of, oh, they're going to call me up and I'm going to be nervous to talk about this kind of stuff or whatever. There was none of that. It was just we are a group of friends and we're trying to help each other. We just got so much of that. And I think the audience saw that on the roundtable episode that we published last Friday, actually. And you got to see some of those surprise guests come up and speak so eloquently. What was cool was my wife, Laura, listened to that episode. She was just blown away by it. I mean, I talk to her all the time, obviously, about these campfires and how incredible they are and how, you know, in a perfect world, she can carve out some time where if we can get a grandparent to come in and, and babysit, Laura can come to one of these events. But I mean, she is so enthused after hearing that, just that one round table, like that one recording of 45 minutes did more than me talking about this for an entire year. So hopefully you, the audience out there, really got a sense of what this is like. And it was, it was just so cool to see members of the audience that were just there as, as guests and Jonathan calling up Joel and Mindy and physician on fire, like in addition to just the people who were in the round table to begin with. And I'm just randomly spouting this stuff off now, but like JD Roth, JD Roth is a perfect example of the Phi community. He was there just as a guest. He was there as JD, a member of the Phi community. And he traveled from Portland to random Hawthorne, Florida to go to Camp Five for two weekends. He took basically 10 days out of his year to come to this Camp Five. He's going to the one in Virginia in a couple months. Like that is so cool. Not because he was there as a famous blogger, JD. He was there because this community is important to him and this is his tribe. And he would spend multiple weekends a year, not as some obligation, but as this is how he wants to spend his time in his financially independent life. And that is truly incredible. Yeah. So getting a chance to actually play board games with this group of people that is your tribe, that are your friends. And JD is playing there right along with us. It was it was amazing. It was so much fun. I tell you, you know, after you've gotten a chance to have interactions with people, it just changes. It changes everything. You know, I think everything starts out as a meet and greet. And I think we all know how we, we kind of feel about meet and greets, there's maybe one or two people that are all in. And then everybody else is just trying to figure out what does that first interaction look like? And then you realize, 
wow, this really is so simple when you already are starting out with so much in common. From there, you know, you're moving on, you're getting breakfast together, getting lunch in this setting, and just all those walls have been broken down. Now you're playing board games, you're doing a team building thing, you're, you're just having conversations, and there's nobody that's off in the corner trying to figure out what to do next. The introverted side that's probably a little bit in all of us is immediately gone, and you're just having a good time. And it's very freeing to be able to be around this community of like-minded people uh, just for even this short period of time. And I think what it does is it inspires you because you realize what the possibilities are when you do have a tribe of people to form these bonds with. I think it changes it when you now take that back into your own local community because in some way it's trained you on how to replicate this year round when you find a local group. Yeah, Jonathan, you're right. And, and you talked about the introverted side of people and, and how it pulls people out. And I think my own self, I have overcome what you call like a limiting belief that I have. I've always said, and maybe it's as a defense mechanism, oh, I'm introverted, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't believe that anymore. I think I'm much more towards the extroverted side. And I think these events, these Camp Fi and these FinCons like have made me realize that. And I get energy from being around other people when I'm at these events. I don't think I felt that before in my real life. It's just such a cool awakening for me to fully realize that. And, and I think now we're bringing that back to our local communities, like you alluded to. We have a local community here in Richmond. I think in our Facebook group, we have easily 60 people. I might've hit 70 recently. And we're going to have, like you said, board game nights. We're going to have get togethers. We're going to do all these different things. It's not about getting together and talking about the nuts and bolts of finance. Jonathan, at Camp Fi, how much time was actually spent talking about like Roth IRA conversion ladders or anything like really technical. It wasn't that. It was just getting together with people that you have things in common with and and just sharing that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, certainly those things are all on the fringes and maybe one person is giving another person, you know, specifics on how to pull that off if they have a question about it. But I would say that by just understanding that you're all operating from a common framework and a common goal, you move past that and you start talking specifically about your shared interests and passions. And so a lot of it ends up coming down to lifestyle design and helping someone work through maybe a specific thing they're facing, or maybe it just comes to talking about a shared hobby like brewing beer or CrossFit or any of these other topics that can come up along the way. Maybe it's taking time to play a board game. I mean, they were just kind of groups that would go off and there was no, there was nothing forced about it. There was nothing coerced. It was this natural organic process to just kind of be and slow down and relax for just a few days. And I think you don't realize how in your own grind you are and how caught up you are in all of you know life's natural stresses until you get a chance just to walk away from it from a little bit. So yeah, it was really cool to be a part of that. And, and I want to just say to our audience, you know, we talked about how this potentially was a training ground in some way for you to be able to replicate this in your own local community. And I want to say for the record that you do not need to be in Longmont, Colorado or Richmond, Virginia in order to find a local group. There are now local groups in most major cities around the country. And if you want to see all of the local groups that exist, uh, you can go to chooseify.com slash local and you can find a local community in your area. And if you go through that list and you don't see one in your area, but you want to start something uh, we want to have these conversations. We want to see this idea spread. So if you don't see a local group in your general region and you don't want to travel 100 miles to be in the closest one, just shoot us an email to feedback at chooseify.com, letting us know 
that you would like to see a local group start in your area and you're willing to help us start one. And we will get that teed up for you. So, you know, I think this is an idea that is going to continue to spread more and more as the possibilities really open on what it means to have a local tribe in your area. And I think this first inaugural Camp Fi was really the start of something very big. Yeah. And speaking of the local groups and community, there was this amazing post by Amy in our main Choose a Five Facebook group. And I guess she's reading the book, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. This was this amazing quote she underlined. It goes, when people join groups where change seems possible, the potential for that change to occur becomes more real. For most people who overhaul their lives, there are no seminal moments or life-altering disasters. There are simply communities, sometimes of just one other person, who make change believable. That hit me like a bolt of lightning. And, and I immediately, just like Amy, thought of Choose FI. That is what we're doing here. And that's why we spend so much time talking about this and not always talking about the nuts and bolts of the very technical and specific financial independence and, and money hacks. Like It has become much more about this community and these life optimizations. Obviously, the money stuff will always be there. But at the end of the day, the money stuff is fairly easy at the margins, like it's save 50% plus your income if you can, or save as much as you can, cut your expenses and invest in low cost index funds. And then of course there's the technical stuff, but, but that's the main stuff. But really it's, it's about making change in your life. And that's why I post every Friday about what was the one thing you did this week to make your life better in any aspect. And that's why a quote like this just hit me so strongly and like why people are getting such value out of this community. It's not about this podcast. It's not about me and Jonathan. It's about the community. And you see that with 10,000 plus people in the Facebook group. You see that with 120 local groups throughout the world. It is remarkable. So Amy, thank you for posting that. It, It really, it really hit home for me. And I suspect it does for tens of thousands of people listening to this. You know, Brad, I keep harping back to that community. You know, I think it's so interesting. We all we all have labels that we use for ourselves, limiting beliefs and labels that help us identify where we're at and, you know, why we interact with people the way that we do. Is it Myers-Briggs? That's that personality test that tells you where you fall and what your tendencies are. And I think there's always going to be some level of underlying truth to that stuff. But beyond that, I think we use that as an excuse to be who we are. And we don't realize when those have gone from tendencies to limiting beliefs that are actually holding us back. And a lot of that, you know, especially with regards to who you are as a person, introvert versus extrovert, involves your ability to use the skill set of conversation to connect with other people. And I think especially for introverts, what you find so quickly is that once you have something in common with people and you're talking about something that you're passionate about, a lot of that fear and a lot of those natural tendencies go right out the window. You know, when, when I'm trying to engage other people on things that have no interest to me, it is more difficult. You know, you kind of stop right there. But when you're in a community of people of like minds, everything gets easier. You know, that speaks again to the power of, of community. And I think once you realize that, you can leverage the power of community and leverage the psychology that goes with being in this good, outrageously optimistic place to 10x your results in every single aspect of your life. You know, this doesn't just have to be financial. This can also be from a health and wellness perspective. And it just kind of all ties together, which is why we find ourselves constantly talking about how to achieve financial independence, but realizing that ultimately this entire community is about life optimization. 
So let me go ahead and mention two more things. One is that Stephen, the organizer of Camp 5, reached out to me and said, for the Choose FI community, he really wanted to give back in some way because you know, this community has been such an integral part of creating this momentum around Camp Fi. And so what he's done is he's actually reserved one ticket for Camp Fi Mid-Atlantic, which will be in Virginia. Brad and I will both be there. He wants to give it to one person in our community. You cannot buy tickets to this event. It is sold out. But if you're interested in going to Camp Fi Mid-Atlantic in Williamsburg, Virginia, that is going to be April 13th through the 16th. Brad and I will both be there. And what we've decided to do is to set up a drawing for this ticket. If you want to enter that drawing, all you need to do, just go to chooseify.com slash iTunes, follow the instructions there and leave us a short written review. And then send us an email to feedback at chooseify.com, letting us know that you left the review, what screen name you left it under, and also mentioning that you are interested in going to that camp. And we would love to enter you in that drawing. Uh, We will be accepting reviews all the way up through the 29th of January, which is a Monday. And then we will announce the winner on February 2nd. For those of you that do not use iTunes, but also, but use, you know, an Android device. If you leave us a review on Stitcher, uh, that is fine as well. But again, you would just need to send us an email to feedback at chooseify.com, letting us know that you left the review and that you're interested in coming to camp. And I hope you take us up on that. We would love to see you there. Truly these camps is, is just probably the best way for us to spend some real time, you know, with our tribe, right? And I get a built-in three-day board game binge on these days as well. So (laughs) I bring those board games with me. And, oh, you know, this, Brad, I think we should also take one second and say that we have now got confirmation that Chautauqua is happening this year, and it is going to be happening in Greece. And my understanding is it's going to be very close to Mount Olympus, which is just epic. We have been invited to be the keynote speakers for that Chautauqua, and we'll be giving you more details as they become available But we wanted to give you the heads up because those tickets are not going to last very long. And when they become available, they'll probably sell out within a couple of days. And Brad, can you tell us what is the best way to find out about those tickets when they become available? Yeah, that sounds good, Jonathan. We're going to set up a short link at chooseify.com slash Greece. And that'll take you actually to Alan and Katie Donegan's website for the Chautauqua in Europe. And it'll allow you to put in your email address to get first information when they announce the 2018 Chautauquas. And this right now is well before they go on sale. I think probably going to go on sale sometime in early to mid-February, but we wanted to give our community a heads up so you guys could get these tickets as quickly as possible. I think there's only somewhere between 50 and 60 tickets for the two weeks of the Chautauqua. So each event is a week long. My understanding is they're going to start October 13th and October 20th. And again, they are in Greece and Europe. So this is a, a significant commitment, obviously. But Everyone I've ever spoken to who's went on this event has said it is truly, truly life-changing. And yeah, these are the only Chautauquas in 2018. So 60 tickets, they're going to go really, really quickly. So yeah, if you head over to chooseify.com forward slash Greece, it'll redirect you to the webpage. You just put in your email address. And then as soon as those tickets go on sale, Alan and Katie will send you out an email and you'll have first crack at it. So again, chooseify.com forward slash Greece. And you know what, Brad, as you were saying that, I was thinking to myself, I should probably specify how to spell uh, Greece. Uh, we are talking about the geographic location. That's G-R-E-E-C-E. So choosefi.com slash Greece. All right, back to you. (laughs) 
That is hilarious. But thank you. I'm glad you specified. That's good stuff. And just a couple other quick things I wanted to mention. So we had mentioned about a month ago that we're going to have a whole set of Chooseify community members writing at our website as and telling their stories as Chooseify writers. So that has actually already started to go live. We have articles. As of right now, they're being published on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We now have six writers as of uh, when I'm talking about this. By the time you're hearing this, it'll be more because uh, Thursday will have passed. But yes, yeah, six different writers have written their first article and they really are incredible. It's such a cool perspective to see like truly all these different perspectives. That is what's so neat. And like different people connect with certain stories. And that was the whole point of having these Chooseify writers. So anyway, head over to Chooseify.com every Tuesday and Thursday and days in between where, you know, presumably going to start pumping out content significantly when we have 30 plus writers publishing new articles many times a month. So this is a big deal for our community. It's a chance to hear those stories and to find those connections. So yeah, I'm really, really excited about this and uh, it's been fun so far. All right, Jonathan. So I actually have a frugal win of the week. Laura and I are really, really proud of ourselves, actually, because of this. It's To most of you out there, this is going to sound kind of silly, but we are not do-it-yourselfers. We're not people who generally fix things around the house. It's, it's Again, it's a limiting belief because I know you can learn anything on YouTube. You can pick this stuff up, but it's just something, for whatever reason, we're just have not been people who fix things. So anyway, long story short, our front door just broke basically, like to the point where we literally could not open our front door or it would take about a minute of us just trying to like jam it and turn it different ways. Like it was really, really pretty pathetic. It was like the case in point of like every cheap person who like just doesn't want to fix something. It was, it was really pretty silly. But anyway, I spoke with my buddy Blake, who's in the, the choose if I community and had him on call to help me with this. But I was going to try to fix my front door and we went out to Home Depot, got a new lock. I looked at the instructions, looked at a YouTube video. I'm like, holy cow, this is really easy. I can do this in 10 minutes. I was so confident and I just went to it. I kid you not, it took me five minutes to change out the lock, the deadbolt. Everything works perfectly now. And Laura and I were on cloud nine. Like it sounds so silly because we could have hired a handyman for probably 20 bucks to come and fix this thing and it would have been done. But like, man, that sense of accomplishment of just doing it. We really were on cloud nine the entire rest of the day. It was really great. It was just this wonderful sense of accomplishment. And now it has emboldened us to do more of this. So our heating element on our stove just busted a couple of days ago. This is like the burner we use most often. So we need to fix it. What would we normally do? We'd hire a handyman. Again, we went to YouTube. It looks really easy. I wound up grabbing the part from Amazon. It is en route. And later this week, I'm going to swap this thing out myself. And yeah, now we have these other projects around the house that we're like, okay, we have this on a punch list for somebody to hire somebody, but we can do this. And more than that, we get satisfaction out of it. And it's just so cool. So, you know, sure, it's a nice little money savings. That's all well and good. But just that sense of accomplishment has really been been surprising to me. I love that, man. That's exactly where I found myself. I have a couple projects still in the queue. I've done, a f- I've replaced a few uh, electrical outlets and a few light switches, which I spent a full day because I'm frankly, I'm terrified of anything electric, but I did make the, both of those successfully. I replaced my stovetop recently. It didn't have a part that I could replace it, but actually 
I have a frugal fail to drop on you right here. And that is that my stovetop also gave out this year and I, I replaced it and I am kind of a, I'm a tech nerd and I've always been very interested in the induction cooktops. Basically what's really cool about them is they don't have any heating element per se. They use magnetism, which from an energy perspective is very cool from an efficiency perspective. You know, if basically you lose a lot of the energy with heat as it dissipates into, I guess, the air, the surrounding environment. With magnetism, it's basically 100% efficiency, but they're very expensive. So I looked at a bunch of them, and I found one at the Sear Scratch and Dent store for significantly off, but it was still $600. It was kind of pricey, but they normally run all the way up to like $2,000 is my understanding. And I went ahead and got it, and I installed it uh, myself, so a little bit of a cost savings there. And then after I installed it, I posted or we talked about in the Facebook group how we had how you know we had made these upgrades. And immediately after I posted it, I saw a conversation the entire week from people basically saying that these hardcore electrical products, they have all sorts of issues. And the the electrical panels are almost impossible and very expensive to fix. And they go wrong all the time. And especially on these Kenmore product that I purchased. And I just started to cringe because in my mind, the value, quote unquote, proposition was that it cost $2,000 normally, and I had gotten it for close to 600 And I did not buy a warranty because, frankly, I don't really believe in warranties. I feel like companies have already done the math and are coming out. Otherwise, they wouldn't offer the warranty. You know, it's a math game over time. And so I did not purchase that. And then I left to go on, to go on this trip to Camp Fi. And while I was gone, my wife calls me and says that there's an error on the top and it's saying, it's giving this error code, which I looked up and it says that the touch panel has gone bad. And so this value, you know, this value choice that I got without doing the research on the quality of the product, I guess, and what problems other people had had first, I just got sucked in by the deal, right? Without doing the research on the quality of the product and getting that feedback first, I'm either going to be out $600 plus the amount to replace it with something that's a little bit more stable, you know, and and what I heard is that these, the mechanical dials, those almost never have problems because they're such simple mechanisms. And I was like, Oh, that speaks to me so much right now, or I'm going to have to have it, you know, repaired. And I doubt that I can repair an electrical panel underneath this thing. And so I imagine it's 140 bucks for the part plus the, you know, person to come in and repair it. So All that being said, you know, I think this is one of those just honest moments where not everything is a win. Sometimes you lose even when you're trying to do it yourself. You know, you get in too deep and you realize you're outside of your skill set. I still think that if I look at all the things that I've tackled over the year, being willing to try doing it myself has been net positive both for my confidence level and for my budget. But in this particular case, I crashed and burned and I'm just going to be honest about it. Yeah, that's fair. And, And I think you're right you kind of conflated value with a deal. And I think that might have been where where things went wrong here. It was, holy cow, this is a $2,000 oven for $600. It has to be great, right? Like what value that is, yeah. Whereas, right? Like, and, and I think we did talk about this actually on a, a prior Friday Roundup when you originally bought this. And, you know, I think uh, I may have poked a little bit of fun at you at the time because my valuist mind was saying like, wow, $600, that's more than I paid for my brand new one. Like GE, yeah, right? I remember, dude, I didn't want to come on the podcast and talk about this. You want everything no, to be no, roses. No, there's nothing like to be embarrassed. About. You always want to win, right? But I'm, I'm pretty sure 
I'm out 600 bucks on this thing. And it's probably going to end up going back to an old electric stovetop with a mechanical dial. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe somebody else has a better suggestion and we'll put it out there to the universe. But as of right now, I'm looking at a completely worthless $2,000 induction stovetop sitting on there, a giant, massive paperweight in which I can lay. It's just a drying area for dishes at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Well, I suspect you learned something though from the, uh, from the process. I did. It's the dark side of value. <laughs> Jonathan, it's always about just getting a little bit better and learning new things and and just trying to improve. Obviously, don't be embarrassed, don't beat yourself up. Like I know you're you're half kidding, but like there's nothing to be embarrassed about. You learn something and and you move on. You know, sure, it stinks. You're out six hundred bucks. That's not ideal, but I mean, you couldn't have foreseen that the thing would crap out after a couple months. So so that just sounds like a lemon. But but you did learn something, and we're always talking about get one percent better. That aggregation of marginal gains as we've referred to it. And it's just looking at your life and finding areas where, where you can improve. And there was amazing post in the Facebook group a couple of days ago by Leanne. She said, I thought I'd share a fun task I'm doing as a result of listening to one of the podcast episodes about improving yourself just 1%. I made this ring of cards and every time I do Every time I do something 1% to get me closer to Phi, I write it down. Hopefully by December 31st, I won't be beating myself up, which I do, that I didn't do more because it will be all evidenced right there on this ring. This is the coolest thing. She asked also then to to round it out. Has anyone else shifted their thinking to this 1% rule? And I know I can answer. Certainly I have. I mean, this is, it's so important. And I, I do just, I'm not like crazy or fanatical about this, but I'm just looking for ways to improve just in tiny, tiny little ways. And it's so neat to see this little ring here that Leanne posted. And she just has January 5th, 2018, sold coffee table, sold fish tank, and she made $45 from things that were lying around. Those are just these little items. So it's steps you've taken. It's 1% better. It's, it's everything. Just like if you document this, I think you're going to be shocked when you wake up at the end of 2018 and you have hundreds upon hundreds of ways that your life got just a little bit better. And yeah, there were, I think hundreds of comments upon this uh, Facebook post and I was just blown away by it. So yeah, really, really cool. This is powerful. I mean, this is like, what's what I love about this is although this is almost a good enough idea that you could turn this into a product and sell it. I bet you, I mean, honestly, you really could, but that's not what she's doing. This is just, this is a problem I have in my life and this is a solution I can make myself. And it's a very simple idea. And I tell you, I I think I'm going to do it. So if you're interested in seeing what Leanne put together, I'll put a link to this particular post in the show notes for today's episode. It's an amazing idea. And can you imagine, you know, when you go back and you look one year back at all those tiny marginal gains that you've made, Man, that what a great idea. All right, guys. You know, normally at the very beginning of the episode, we like to review both of the Monday episodes, but everything has been a little bit topsy-turvy, mostly due to my partner's inability to speak. And as a podcaster, being able to speak is a minimum requirement. So I will probably not let this go for at least a couple more weeks. But since now he can finally talk again and the laryngitis is gone, uh, Brad, maybe now finally we can talk about the past week's episode. Okay. 
Yeah, I think that sounds like a plan. And don't lie, you you enjoyed the spotlight at Camp Five without without me sitting out there with you, right? I just basked in the glory all by <laughs> myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you you definitely were in your glory. You would have been regardless of whether I could have uh, spoken or not. But yeah, I, I appreciate you picking up the slack for me. And and yeah, it was a real bummer that a I couldn't do the roundup, but you know I couldn't be part of those roundtables or anything. So yeah, it was it really was frustrating. But I'm glad I'm feeling a lot better. And and yeah, let's definitely chat about both the Grumpus Max. Episode and the CFP episode. One of the things that was so impressive to me about Grumpus and what I've really loved about his process is that he has really nailed his niche. Brad, did I say it right that time? I think so. You, <laughs> you got a lot of you got a lot of flack for that last time. I still think it should be niche, but okay, we'll go with niche. Well, there. I think you can say it both ways. Actually, I say niche, but I think there's a British pronunciation and an English pronunciation, and I think people butt heads on this on the internet all the time. Like it, you would think this was going to incite World War Three. The, the different pronunciations of niche and niche. Hold the presses. Somebody is wrong on the internet. <laughs> all right, so we'll go with niche today. But I think Grumpus latched onto this idea that no one is dialing in or no one really at this point had dialed in on the problem of the pension. You know, you have this pillar content from Earn talking about sequence of return risk. You have this pillar content from JL Collins talking about the power of index investing for our community. You have Physician on Fire speaking to the very unique challenges that the high income professionals and medical doctors and people in that field, the opportunities they have available to them and the unique financial situations they find themselves in. And occasionally across the internet, you would find people that were talking either to some degree you know, about how the pension might help their community, but no one went all in on this topic. No one had written the ultimate guide to pensions at this point. And he said, you know what? This is the information that I will benefit from directly. And I know how many other people I keep seeing these questions recycled all over the place. What if I could create cornerstone content for this very specific community? I think he's done that. I, I think he very much is following in the in the likes of Big Earn and JL Collins and and trying to tackle this from every single possible scenario. And so he will have the guide to this material. And I love how he one can bring in this kind of dry information and create content that builds on itself around it. And then two, when you look at his actual story, his backstory, the personal struggles and the vulnerability that he's willing to share with his journey, I think is helpful for so many people in particular in the military that are struggling with PTS and PTSD. And, you know, I think just like with me talking about my particular stupid fail just a few minutes ago, I think we all struggle with this idea that we only need to present the best of ourselves. We need to show this strong front in every single aspect of our lives. Facebook is a way for you to aggregate the highlight reel from your life and to marginalize all of your failures and embarrassments and insecurities. And I think it would be very easy to follow in that suit and create a blog content that just talks about how awesome you are in every single way and then use that as a way to then say, because I am this good at life, you should then trust the content that I'm writing about. And I think that is probably the easier path to follow. But to have someone that's willing to say, I'm in the military and I had to be treated for depression, that is not something that's easy to write. That is not something that, you know, when, when I read it, I was like, does he realize what he just wrote? Is it okay to say that? You know, and, and that's, that was my first impression. And then my second impression is how powerful is it that someone is willing to say that and how much more authority does it give them to reach an audience that can relate to that direct message? And to me, it was very inspiring. 
Yeah, I agree with you completely. It was it was really raw. It was emotional. It was wonderful. And and I think we all have issues, right? I mean, that's just obvious. We're all flawed, no matter what kind of beautiful message we portray on Facebook and and try to say how wonderful our lives are. Everybody has issues. And of course, this is a significant one. And he was 16 years in. He wasn't sure if he could continue with his military career. You know, as he described it, it was it was a mental breakdown, but he had this golden albatross moment of what do I do? That's really difficult. I, I don't know what I would have done at that point, even though you're so close, right? You're four years away from this pension, which is really potentially worth millions of dollars in essence. It would have he said it would have been fifty five thousand dollars a year plus medical, plus all these random little groceries on base and and things like that. This is real significant money. You know, he had that moment and and thankfully he pulled through. He did decide to stick it out. And it certainly seems like he's in a fantastic mental place now. And I think some of this intentionality from the Phi community certainly has helped. And also being on the same page with his wife now. He talked about some of the the issues where they butted heads at the outset of their relationship, but now they're on the same page. And, you know, his actionable advice was that your financial life and these discussions must be done together. And to me, that was as big a takeaway as the pension stuff. It's get on board with your spouse, get on board with your, with your significant other, figure this out together, be a team. It can't be this one person, you know, like his wife must've felt like she was being attacked at that point. Everything's taken away from me. I think he kind of joked, oh, you have to stay home and shackle her to the kitchen. Jokes aside, that might have been what she thought. That might have been the perspective. And getting that buy-in, getting that teamwork is really crucial. And people ask us that all the time. How do I get my significant other on board? Like, how do I approach this? And it's it's find what lights them up. Find where they are. What will help them get on board with this message? And what will help you guys work together as a team? There's no magic bullet answer that I can give that, oh, if you do these five steps, it's gonna work out perfectly. It's nothing like that. You need to adapt your message to your partner and figure out what will make you guys work together as a team and what are those goals you're working towards? And I think Grumpus Maximus figured that out. And one of the things that Grumpus has also done is, I love this article he wrote, and we'll link to it in the, in the show notes, but it was how I save thousands of dollars and get professional money advice. And what he realized is that this information is being given away for free all around the internet if you know how to look for it. So Grumpus, over the last several years, has done his own research, but then has taken you know the parts that he was struggling with and got professional money advice in a very optimized way by going to various podcasts and bloggers and asking them his specific questions. So I think he has had little micro segments or interviews on Marketplace Weekend, Jill on the Money, and the Million Dollar Podcast uh, with Pete the Planner. And so, you know, this is something that he has done. And now on the back end of that, after he has been able to aggregate all this information and then stress test it, now he is able to put together his own framework for how to deal with the problem of the pension. And I just thought that is a fascinating way to look at it. What can you get for free? Going back to the episode with Alan Donegan. And now in a way, he's able to give back and he's able to give this this advice to other people for free. And so Grumpus has agreed to come on the show as an in-house expert and do case studies for people that are interested in, in having you know their pension analyzed and looking for how to optimize their benefits. 
If you have a question, I highly recommend you reach out to him directly or you send us a voicemail about it and we can send it over to him. And we have a question that we're going to go ahead and play uh, from Tess, who has a question about how to handle her pension. Grumpus went all in on answering this and giving her an incredibly thorough answer. And with that, let's go ahead and listen to this voicemail from Tess. Hi, Jonathan, Brad. This is Tess. First of all, I love Choose FI. I've binge listened to all of the episodes and I love them. Thank you so much for what you're doing. I have a question about pensions and I realize not a lot of people have pensions any longer. This was from a previous company and they have ended the pension and now they're asking us if we want to have single lump sum payments instead of the monthly payment for the rest of our lives starting when we're older. So let me give you the numbers. The single lump sum payment option is $75,740 versus the single life annuities, the optional payments would be at $55,690, at $60,000, $1,066, or if I wait till I'm 65, I'd have $1,254. I realize this is not a huge amount of money, but I'm guessing there's some mathematical way to figure out which would be the best options for me to to realize this money. If you would have any tips on how to figure that out, I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks for all you do. Love listening. Keep up the great work. Yeah, Tess, thank you so much for the question. That is exactly the sort of questions that we, it's so amazing to have these in-house experts that can answer it. And uh, for a full answer on this question, just check out either Grumpus's article, which will be listed in the show notes, or the full answer by voicemail, which will be on the backside of this episode. Gentlemen, happy new year, and thank you for allowing me back on this show so soon to help with the pension-related question. I apologize in advance for the voice and breathing issues as I'm still getting over a uh, holiday cold. So if it comes through on the recording, I'm sorry. Also, it's worth noting up front that the details required in answering this question properly forced me to essentially write a case study. So if it sounds like I'm reading, it's because I am. I'm sure you will stick my response in the show notes so people can access some of the links. But I also intend to turn this response into a written post, which will go up on my blog before the end of the weekend. Therefore, people can refer back to it as often as required. On to Tessa's question. Whether or not a person should take a pension lump sum is the pension question I see most often asked in your Facebook group. Hopefully, this will prove an enlightening discussion for a portion of your listeners who potentially have a pension coming their way. Let me start off by saying that test asks a seemingly simple question for which there is no simple or precise answer. To paraphrase in terms that I use on my blog, Tess wants to calculate the total dollar value of her three different pension options in today's dollars in order to compare those three different options to her company's lump sum offer also in today's dollars. One of the reasons there is never a precise answer to the TDV question is due to the vague nature of all retirement planning. Most importantly, none of us know how long we will live, nor do we know exactly what our rate of return or inflation rates will be in the future. Thus, the clear mathematical answer Tess is looking for can at best be expressed as an estimation. At worst, it could be described as a guess. Since some estimations are better than others, it's best to understand what we are dealing with. So let's discuss some general facts about pension lump sums in order to frame our discussion. Why do private pension funds, or any pension fund for that matter, offer lump sums? I will tell you it's not out of the goodness of their hearts. Pension funds offer lump sums primarily because it allows them to transfer risk at a discounted rate to the pensioner. 
In other words, the company transfers the future risk of running out of money with which to pay the pensioner over to the pensioner themselves in the present day. By taking a lump sum, the pensioner incurs the risk of running out of money in the future, not the pension fund. Assuming the pensioner actually invests the money, the pensioner runs the risk by not employing an appropriate safe withdrawal rate and therefore withdrawing all their money prior to death. Now, I think it's a big assumption that people will invest their lump sums when you're talking about the general population. But since we're talking about the Choose FI population, I think it is a good assumption that somebody would invest their lump sum. And as Ern McCracken has written prolifically about the employment of the safe withdrawal rate, it can be a tricky thing if an investor does not understand the facts and math. So for anybody looking to invest a lump sum in order to employ a safe withdrawal rate, I highly recommend his series of articles. The risk transfer from a company to the pensioner is further incentivized by the rules the U.S. government in place around pension lump sum calculations. Most important are the rules that allow companies to use what an article of Forbes.com calls unrealistically high rates of return for a lump sum invested by a pensioner. By estimating higher than normal rates of return from an invested lump sum, Again, assuming the lump sum gets invested at all, it places the pensioner under pressure to reach for returns in order to achieve the same value that the annuitized payout would offer over the same amount of time. The U.S. government also forces companies to use the government's longevity estimates, which inexplicably combines male and female longevity into one table. This is unfair if you're a woman in the U.S. offered a lump sum, because statistically, women in the U.S. live longer than men. Conversely, For U.S. males, this unfairly bumps up their lump sum offer. Thus, for anyone looking to compare a lump sum payout to the future value of their annuitized pension using today's dollars, it's important to note the estimate of total dollar value is almost always destined to be greater than the total of the pension lump sum offered since companies are legally, legally allowed to lowball their pensioners. There may be some rare cases where inflation mitigates this effect, but that is not the norm experience. All right, in case Tess is looking for a good article explaining these issues further, plus a calculator which mitigates the flaws in the U.S.-based lump sum calculations and actually offers what the author at least calls a true lump sum calculation, then she can go to Forbes, uh, the Forbes.com article written by William Baldwin. And I don't think that's the uh, reference to the least good actor in the Baldwin family. I actually think that's somebody who knows what they're talking about. The picture on the webpage, at least, made it look like it wasn't the same guy. Moving on, the final factor to understanding up front in any lump sum discussion is uh, pension safety. Pension safety is something of a trump card, no pun intended, when it comes to lump sums. Because if there is a high likelihood that a pension fund won't be able to pay the pensioner in the future, then no matter how lowball the sum, uh, the lump sum offer is, a pensioner will probably take it. That said, pension safety is an area many people, including many in the Choose FI Facebook community, tend to misunderstand. Much of the advice I see in the Choose FI Facebook group generally equates to, quote, assume your pension won't be there for you, and if it is, it's just icing on top of the cake, unquote. If that were true, then logic should dictate that everyone take the lump sum offer. But it's not true. Each pension fund is run and managed separately from one another. So to say that all pensions are doomed is not only inaccurate, 
but unhelpful to those trying to use a pension to help them achieve FI. Thus, I would advise anyone in Tessa's situation to dig into the financial details of their pension fund, and the companies that own them are required to produce annual statements and reports which disclose how well-funded the pension fund is. If for some reason Tess cannot find those reports for her particular company, then I would recommend she go to Boston College's Center for Retirement Research and see what information they have amongst their reams of reports on pensions. By doing this, someone should be able to build a much better estimate of the likelihood that their pension fund might fail in the future. For a private pension, let me further point out that all may not be lost even if the pension fund fails. Many private and union pensions in the U.S. belong to the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. The PBGC is a U.S. government-backed insurance scheme meant to act as the final backstop for all pension funds who are paying members. However, the PBGC itself is massively underfunded at the moment and in need of much reform, which limits its usefulness. Currently, if the PBGC assumes the financial liabilities of a failed pension fund, it only pays out about 60% of what is owed to the pensioner. Now, with that long-winded framing of Tessa's question out of the way, let's discuss some important facts and assumption about Tessa's question. We'll assume Tess is asking about herself and not a spouse. We will also use female life expectancy rates. I will use the 83-year uh, life expectancy rate based on her sex, the age she told us in a follow-up email, and the Social Security Administration's actuarial table. We know Tessa's pension is a private pension since she mentioned a company. No details on which company, so no ability to judge pension safety or if it's a U.S. company. We'll assume the pension is safe, though, and the company is U.S.-based. Therefore, they're subject to the pension lump sum rules I just described above. No ability to judge the company as a member of the PBGC, but it really wouldn't matter since we're assuming the pension is safe in this case. Tess did mention in a follow-up email that uh, there's no survivorship consideration, meaning the uh, the pension can't continue to pay out to a spouse or to children, so it's just her that we're worried about. No mention of a cost of living adjustment, and this is important, probably one of the most important things to understand. We will assume there is no COLA since she didn't mention it. This means that inflation is at play. We will therefore use a 2% annual rate of inflation for all the calculations I'm about to describe. I didn't see in the email or here in the voicemail about any other pension benefits like health care, so we'll assume there are none. Finally, Tess is 48, according to the follow-up email, so she has 7, 12, or 17 years to wait until the pension payouts start. Assuming no COLA, that's 7, 12, or 17 years of inflation eating away at the value of Tess's payments before they start based on the age 55, the age 60, and the age 65 scenarios she discussed in her voicemail. This means the value of the monthly payouts, which were 690, 1066, and 12. 54 uh, would respectively be worth 601, 841, or 896 respectively in today's dollars when those payouts start. So essentially, I've gone and devalued for those different year time frames the monthly payouts right up front. And I made those calculations with an inflation calculator at buyupside.com. Finally, since Tess's pension does not start immediately, she needs to understand something I call the immediacy effect 
as discovered and described by Bigger and McCracken in his 17th article over the Safe Withdrawal Rate series. It's worth a read. Definitely, I would uh, recommend it if you have a pension that does not start immediately after you retire uh, because there are some effects. I have not learned how to mathematically calculate for them, but it's something you, you should definitely be aware of. Okay, let's move on to the calculations. This is how I'd normally calculate total dollar value calculations. I take the inflation-adjusted monthly payouts, which I just described above, and turn them into annual amounts. I then multiply the various totals by the number of years left from the start point of each pension payout to the end of Tess's assumed life, or the person's life, who in this case is Tess. I then adjust that total again for inflation using the buyupside.com calculator. That should give us three different total dollar values in today's dollars to compare to the $75,500 lump sum uh, that Tess described in her voicemail. So I'm not going to sit there and explain each calculation, but for scenario number one, for the uh, 55-year-old pension payout, so at age 55, pension payouts start, I calculated a total dollar value in today's dollars of approximately $116,000. Uh, for scenario two, for the pension payout that starts at age 60, I calculated a total dollar value in today's dollars of approximately $147,000. And then for scenario three, the age 65 pension payout, I calculated a scenario or a total dollar value for 2017 dollars of $135,000. So we did it. Not only did we determine today's total dollar value for Tessa's future pension payouts, but we also see that scenario two is optimized to provide her the most over her life expectancy, if our assumptions hold true. About this point is where I typically caution readers on my blog to remember that total dollar values are best at best estimations, as discussed at the very beginning. Tess actually has to make it to age 83 to realize the benefits of scenario number two. Not only that, but she has to die, sorry Tess, at age 83 for scenario two to hold true to being the most optimal scenario for her to take. Finally, our 2% inflation rate has to hold true over the lifetime of this scenario as well. Those are a lot of assumptions, and they don't include any of the other assumptions I made about Tessa's pension due to a lack of information. For instance, the addition of other pension benefits like health care or a major pension safety concern seriously complicates comparing a total dollar value to a pension lump sum. If that happens to be anyone else in the audience, then they can refer to Part A to my pension series on my blog for more additive uh, comparison methods. However, in Tessa's case, let's assume that everything holds true. All right, as a result, I would recommend uh, Tess concentrate on the difference between scenario two and the lump sum offer. That comparison truly highlights the low ball effect I described towards the beginning of this response. Tess's lump sum offer is approximately half of what she is owed in scenario two. Not good, but it's what the U.S. law allows. One last point worth noting is that my method is not the only one out there for calculating pension lump sums. Both Financial Samurai and Actuary on Fire have written fairly extensive posts on how to value a pension. Actuaries is probably the easiest as it makes a lot of assumptions and uses something called the XNPV function on Microsoft Excel. Actuaries method and mine are conceptually similar since they are both based on the amount earned discounted for inflation. 
Financial Samurai uses a rate of return method for comparing the value of a pension, which is something I don't do. This illustrates a point I was trying to make at the beginning of this response as well. Since there is no precise method for calculating total dollar value for a pension, there is no one correct method. At this point, it's over to test for her determination as to what to do. Total dollar value estimates argue for scenario two. Then again, that doesn't take into account what's going on in her personal life. As Aramin Mill Dollar likes to say, personal finance is personal, which means no two pension lump sum comparison scenarios will be the same. And as Brad Barrett likes to point out on the podcast all the time, people value different things as well. All I've done is arm test with knowledge by showing her a way to estimate her pension's total dollar value. She can use that knowledge to compare it to her lump sum, but what she chooses to do with that knowledge is up to her. Best of luck, Tess. And again, Jonathan and Brad, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I look forward to uh, answering more pension questions in the future. Wow, Grumpus, that was amazing. I mean, talking about just running a clinic on pensions, those are the factors. That's the difference between you know calculating the gap, like we talked about in the original episode, and really what is the next level thought that needs to go into this? What are the additional factors that you need to add in to really get a good understanding of how this math should really work? So I love that you opened that up. Uh, I will do my best to link to all the different resources that you mentioned uh, in the show notes for this episode. And to our audience, Grumpus has committed to being the resource for the FI community for pensions. I mean, he is all in on this. So if you have questions, uh, I would encourage you to send them to him. I'm sure that he has ways of turning that into content. And also, hopefully, the idea is by really delving into the unique situations, it actually benefits the community at large. So feel free to shoot us your pension questions or really just send them to Grumpus directly. I know he also has a Facebook group as well uh, where they actually talk about these pension problems. And Grumpus, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing that insight with us. All right, and Jonathan, one of my big takeaways also from the Grumpus episode actually ties directly into something that Kyle said on the CFP Roundtable episode. So it's actually... Interesting that they both mention it, and it's the perfect segue into talking about the CFP episode. But uh, Grumpus said they have annual discussions in their family about finances and then have a review. And then Kyle actually went a step further and talked about those annual planning meetings he has with his wife. It's like a state of the union type retreat. And I think they do like two nights. It's, you know, they turn it into a vacation, which is really fantastic. He said some of the the things that have come out of those meetings have been truly life-changing. Laura and I both heard him mention that and immediately said, we need to do that. So we are actually, we're not quite doing the the full uh, retreat, but we're actually almost literally when we get off recording this episode at noon today, we're going out to our favorite place for lunch and we're going there with notes and a binder and we're going to write down our goals and our plans and all these kind of things for 2018 and really set it in stone and and move forward from there. And, you know, things are going exceedingly well for us financially. Like we've talked about, you know, we're we're at financial independence. But but that doesn't mean we can't have goals. We can't have plans. We can't get that teamwork. And that is again, we've seen that over and over again, first with Joel and Alexis from Phi 180. And now we're talking about it with with all these other with Grumpus, with Kyle. It's amazing how when you get on the same page with your spouse, good things happen. Laura and I really want to tie into that. So yeah, that that is going down. I mean, we talk about taking action. We talk about getting 1% better. We are putting this in play 
in our lives immediately. Wow, dude, that's amazing. And you know what's so funny is ever since I set myself up talking about the legacy binders on that show, it's a constant you know, stream of questions from my, from my wife on how far are we with that? What else needs to happen? And so I think that level of engagement that you're describing is exactly what we need to do. And we just need to figure out what are the 20 or 30 different things that we need to have in this binder to get it teed up. So I think you've inspired me to do something similar. And, and, and I love, you're right, I didn't really latch on to that powerful keynote from Grumpus about taking that vacation and framing it around that. So I think there's so much value in having a partner on these things as opposed to someone that is just finding out about what you've done years down the road. All right, so let's go ahead and, and talk for a few minutes about the episode with Kyle and Danny, both certified financial planners inside the FI community, both of them still working as CFPs. And one of the reasons this episode was so interesting, and I think there were people honestly that heard the episode and did not realize that we were accepting crowdsource questions to ask them and were just wishing that they had known about that ahead of time because I think there are so many more questions about how to get the most value from your CFP and if you really need one. Um, and this is particularly true for the financial independence community because we are sharing so much information. Imagine that someone is not in our community. They have not been introduced to the topics that we are talking about all day long uh, and that we're constantly getting better at. I can see how a certified financial planner can do a lot of the heavy lifting for them. And that is kind of one of the things that being in the financial independence community, we're constantly having to sift through. We're thinking, one, is there any value to having a certified financial planner for someone in the financial independence community? And then two, on the backside of that, what is the value for a certified financial planner generally for the public at large? And if there is a value in either of those scenarios, what should the billing model look like? Yeah, I agree with you, Jonathan. And I I think clearly, at least in my opinion, it makes very little sense to pay for assets under management and pay those really onerous fees, you know, 1% plus in, in some cases. And that is just such a drag on your returns when people in the FI community are smart enough to know to invest in primarily low cost index funds. You know, we can, we can talk about the type of funds that that's a totally separate issue, but, but fees matter is what we've come up with. And, there's, there's just no way around that. So to me, it makes very little sense to pay for someone's quote brilliance and in their investing when realistically they're not going to outperform the market and therefore you're just paying fees for virtually nothing. Now contrast that with an actual in-depth financial plan. Okay. I can see the value in that. I definitely can. I mean, you may have everything mapped out. You may think you have it all set, but sometimes it really does help to sit down with a professional and ask all those questions you've wanted to, to go through all your accounts and, and see if you really are on the same target that, that you believe you are. And, and just getting that verification, there's some peace of mind to that. Now, of course, Kyle and Danny talked about this being significantly expensive, in my opinion. I, I think they quoted something like 2000 to $10,000 for a full financial plan. That's a decent bit of money, obviously. I think that's where there is some question about what kind of value are you going to get from it? I think certainly they talked about paying like an hourly fee to sit down and maybe ask some questions. 
I could see that. I could see paying $200 for an hour just to sit and bust through a whole list of questions that I had and maybe talk about some goals that I had or some such. Like, I think different people will find different value is, is ultimately what I'm trying to get at here. I could see that $2,000 financial plan, full rigorous financial plan making sense for people. I can see one or two hours of just getting their time and asking questions, having a lot of value as well. So yeah, there's definitely some open room here for discussion, I would say. And Jonathan, I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I I keep looking for the, like, I do not use a financial planner. It's not something that I'm going out and I'm shopping for right now. I feel pretty good with my simple plan as it is. I'm wondering when does that change? You know, I think it does change for somebody that has no interest in investing the time. So you got to differentiate being in the FI community and being outside of the FI community. For someone that's spending their time learning all of these tools it's going to take a while before I feel like you really need a certified financial planner, but I could see it. Like for instance, if you and your spouse are not on board, I could see having that third party. If your spouse, if he or she thinks you're crazy because you're all in on this and you need someone else to kind of back up what you're saying to some degree, I could see some value there. If you are aging and you do not have a child or a caretaker or someone that's helping you to some degree with your finances and you've latched onto a good you know, fee only financial planner as you're in your 60s, 70s and 80s, I could see there being a real value to having someone to bounce your ideas off of someone that makes sure that your plan that you developed maybe a while back is still valid. And and I think to some degree, I think they say that over the age of 80, 50 percent of people have some form of dementia. My grandparents uh, had multi-million dollar net worth and then he got dementia and made some horrible, horrible financial decisions which decimated their net worth. I think there probably is some value to having a third party be able to keep you on course. I think the question is, are you sending, are you going to a wolf though? You know, like, do you have a good trusted financial planner or do you have someone that's making money just off of your assets under management? There is no guarantee. I don't know how you can, you know, to be a fiduciary and be assets under management. When we talk about living, you know, under the 4% rule, if you're paying 1% for assets under management, that is taking one quarter of your living expenses going to pay this, this planner. And that's a very difficult line for me to endorse. I just couldn't understand. I don't know what it would take to get underneath that. But if you have, again, a fee only planner that is helping guide these decisions and being a member of the team, maybe it's different. And maybe there's something I'm missing, but that's kind of as I'm working through it and I understand how Roth conversions work. I understand how some of these additional tools works, capital gains harvesting works. You know, at what point does the, the planner really come into place? I think maybe drawdown strategy, they can really help you build a very solid drawdown strategy. They're going to force you to commit to paper ahead of time. What are you going to do when the market corrects? Uh, what are you going to do in a downturn when it goes to a bear market? That's a plan that if you've been forced because you have this person on your team to figure out what your plan is ahead of time. A lot of us think we're going to develop an asset allocation, but we just say, oh, well, I'm going to be I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be 100 percent index funds. I'm not going to have anything in bonds because I'm hardcore. And then your net worth goes from 700,000 down to 420. And suddenly your mindset shifts and maybe you're thinking, well, I can't afford for it to go down. So you got to realize that if you're starting your investing career now, you're going to likely go through three to four major bear markets and countless corrections in between. And that process, that that first bear market is going to tell you a lot about yourself that you may not fully appreciate right now as you've been listening to this podcast and you decided that you're totally fine being 100% VTSAX. You know, and, and I'm saying this as someone that is 100% VTSAX, but 
I think that once you go through that bear market, you're going to get some extra information about your investing psychology. Yeah, I agree with you. And and yeah, it would be nice to lean on an advisor. You know, again, you just have to figure out what makes sense for your life. So I can see the value. I can, of course, see the value in being a DIYer and just trying to go it alone with the information you have with within a community like ours and within all the countless resources on the internet. So there are people who get value out of different things. And I think it's a perfectly plausible decision to hire the fee only advisor. And I think it's a perfectly plausible decision to go it alone. So uh, that's something that you have to decide. But I think Danny and Kyle did a did a really nice job in this episode. And it's cool to have people within the FI community in that profession. You know, maybe we can get a list of other fee-only CFPs who are in the FI community because that would be my concern would be, hey, I'm going to just find some CFP here locally in Richmond and I'm going to have to explain to them what I'm doing and how it's even conceivable that I'm financially independent in my 30s. That would be my big concern. So I suspect there are many, many CFPs that are in the FI community. And yeah, that would be kind of cool to get that list together. And so who knows, maybe that's something for the future. Uh, choose a five vaults or some such. If we come across names of people, we can, we can add that there. But uh, one other thing I wanted to mention from the episode was the fiduciary rule. I mean, to me, this is absolutely crazy that they were describing, you need to basically ask blanket, like, are you a fiduciary in every single aspect and try to not make any kind of wiggle room for people to, Hey, I'm a fiduciary in this aspect, but not with insurance or something like to me, that is just absolute lunacy that that's even allowed to exist. But again, just like anything in life, there are rules, you need to know them, and you need to figure out how to maximize them. So in this case, if you are going to approach a CFP to potentially hire them in some regard, you need to get that information. And getting that question from Kyle and Danny made it very obvious. You need to ask specifically and overtly, are you a fiduciary for everything? Are there instances where you're not? Please tell me what those are. So you want your advisor to be on the same page with you and have the same motivations. And that is truly, truly crucial. Wasn't it amazing how they both landed on that as saying, you have to lead with that. That was, that was, it was almost like it is dangerous for you to not ask that question. If you go in to meet with one of these planners and even planners are very frustrated with their own industry at how many sharks are out there, right? Yeah, yeah, there are a lot. And and really, it brings down the whole profession. So I can see why people who do it for the right reasons want to make sure, want to scream from the rooftop that, hey, you need to ask this question. And really, essentially, you need to ferret out these people who aren't doing it for the right reasons. So yeah, I'm glad both of those guys mentioned that. And I'm glad we're talking about it now. It's It's crucial. It's really, really important. All right, guys. Well, as you know, we like to finish every episode by doing a drawing for a copy of a book that we have found useful. We have two books that we offer. The first one is J.L. Collins' book, The Simple Path to Wealth. And the other book is Dominic Cortuccio's book, Design Your Future. Uh, If you want to enter that drawing, all you need to do is just go to choosefi.com slash iTunes, leave us a short written review, and then send an email to feedback at choosefi, letting us know that you left a review and what screen name you left it under. Also, please remember that for the next two weeks up through the 29th of January, we're also accepting submissions for that ticket to Camp 5 Mid-Atlantic in April. All you would need to do to be in that as well is just include in your email that you are interested in being included in that drawing. And uh, Brad, how many winners do we have today? 
All right, Jonathan, we have two winners today, and the first winner is Nancy, and she said, this is my current favorite podcast. I discovered Chooseify several months ago and have so enjoyed getting to listen to all the episodes. I may be older than the, quote, target audience, but I find it super beneficial, especially as I'm our family CFO. I also plan to use a lot of the episodes and resources I have learned to share these ideas with my husband and three teens. A huge thank you to Jonathan and Brad for putting together such a great show and interviewing so many fascinating people in personal finance. And our second winner is Stacy. And Stacy says, gave me an intention and community. I stumbled upon Chooseify when looking for a new finance podcast, and it has completely filled a need I did not know I was missing. I have found purpose for my extra savings and an intention to live a happier, more fulfilled life by being a conscientious and aware of where my dollars are going. On top of giving me intention, this podcast has given me a community of like-minded and different-minded people to learn from and share with. I highly suggest this podcast to anyone who wishes to have more power over their financial future. Stacy, thank you so much for leaving that feedback. And to our community, if you're getting value from these episodes, if you're getting value from being a part of this community, would you just take one second today and just press the subscribe button on the platform that you're listening to this on, Player FM, iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast. We're on your player of choice. We're also now on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. So just take one second and press the subscribe button. It lets the platform know that you're getting value from the show and you want to be there when we produce additional content. The fire is spreading, my friends, and we'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast, where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.